0: This is Eyewitness News, Up Close, with Bill Witter.
1: A closely divided Congress returning to Washington this week to tackle a list of difficult hot button issues. What are we going to do about the migrant crisis at the southern border, and the impact it's now having here at New York and several other cities across the country, and the battle over more funding for Ukraine in its war against Russia, and military aid to Israel following that October terror attack, and how do we pay for all of that? If that wasn't enough, the deadline to reach a new budget agreement to avoid a partial government shutdown now less than two weeks away. So this morning, we talked to two members of Congress from our area. Democrat Mikey Sherrill from New Jersey and a former U.S. Navy helicopter pilot who is also on the House Armed Services Committee. And Congresswoman Nicole Malliotakis of New York, the only Republican member of Congress from New York City who serves on the House Ways and Means Committee. Good morning and welcome to Up Close. I'm Mike Marza, in for Bill Ritter on this Sunday. Well, Republicans now have a razor-thin margin in the House that they control, and Democrats have a slim majority in the Senate. So what can they agree on that President Biden will actually go along with? We begin our conversation this morning with Congresswoman Nicole Malliotakis. Congresswoman, thanks for being here on Up Close. Thank you. I want to begin with a migrant crisis because this certainly is now on our doorstep and we're dealing with it here. We heard Mayor Adams sounding the alarms, talking about the 12 billion dollars that it's going to cost the city over the next three years. Congress, we know, led by the GOP, passed that H.R. two months ago. President Biden pushing back on that. Democrats raising other plans. So I'm curious from you, what what part of the democratic plan, because they're calling for more judges for immigration process, they're calling for more border patrol agents. So is there any part of the democratic plan that you agree with?
2: Uh, sure. I support more agents. and I support more judges to process these individuals and hear these cases because we know that more than half of the individuals claiming asylum do not have legitimate cases. They've created a tremendous backlog into the system where people have been waiting, are now waiting nearly a decade to be heard. Um, the issue is, though, we have to stop the unsustainable flow. And the only way we're going to do that is if we revert back to some of the policies of the previous administration requiring people to once again uh, claim asylum from the next safe country. Uh, they shouldn't be paying the drug cartels to come over the southern border by any means. That is dangerous. That is not in our best interest. It's not in the migrants' best interest. So we need to return to a safe process where people can apply from the next safe country, then have their asylum cases heard in a a reasonable amount of time um, here in the United States. Uh, But we should not be doing this catch and release that we're seeing happening where we're releasing people into the interior. It has gotten so bad that if you talk to Customs and Border Protection, and look, a bunch of my colleagues just went down again to the border. They tell us straight out. The bottom line here is that they cannot vet everyone that's coming over the border. They are releasing people into the interior. We know there are people on the terror watch list that have been caught. We know that fentanyl is killing Americans in record numbers. We know that 1.2, over 1.2 million individuals have snuck in. Those are the ones that are not claiming any asylum. They just want to come in undetected. Who are they? Where are they? What are their intentions? That's what I'm concerned about. And so I think there is a compromise to be made here, but we need Senator Schumer. If he's not gonna pass our bill, then pass your own bill. Once the Senate shows us their priorities, we can reconcile the differences and get a piece of legislation done. Because certainly we don't see President Biden rescinding his executive orders that got us in this mess to begin with.
1: Well, you mentioned trying to pay for all of this. And I know there is a thin majority that the Republicans hold right now in the House. And so when it comes to it, you talked about on the Senate side, some of your colleagues in the House have said that, you know what, we're not going to vote for a budget bill and actually fund the government, potentially leading to a partial government shutdown if the Senate And the democrats don't agree full throat with this hr2 is that an approach that you support
2: well look i I believe in negotiation i believe that we're we're one-third of the government republicans in the house we're not certainly not going to get everything that we want and we have to give a little if we're going to reach an agreement and so i don't expect everything in hr2 although i think that's the ideal piece of legislation but certainly I want to see the border security measures, the things that are really going to stem this unsustainable flow, get passed. And I think we should be using our leverage to negotiate with the Senate. But again, we can't negotiate if the Senate doesn't do anything. Like, they need to pass a bill first so we can see what their priorities are, and then we can reconcile. What what many of the members do not support is giving more money to the Department of Homeland Security to just process paperwork, I mean, to continue this unsustainable flow. We want actual border border security measures Mm -hmm. that will stop the sex trafficking, that will stop the fentanyl from coming over, that will make sure we're vetting people. And and quite frankly, you have have millions of people from, what, 140 different countries from around the world. Many are using fake identification to get in. As I mentioned, we talk about the terror watch list and the people that were caught on it. And this is a serious situation. In a post-9-11 world, we need to be vigilant. We can be continue to always be a a country of immigrants and be compassionate, but we got to do it in an orderly way the way we've always done in this country
1: congressman you talked about coming together and trying to build some sort of coalition to tackle these huge issues that affect all of us here in this country we are bumping up against a deadline i believe the first deadline is january 19th to be able to pass this budget bill to continue to fund the government the next one i think is february 2nd how confident are you that you're going to be able to get your party on board the senate on board and something that president biden will actually sign off on
2: Look, I think that we can make some significant inroads, quite frankly, if, if they want more judges to uh, reduce the case law, you know, the case that's backed up for decades. I, I support those more judges. In fact, I think I think that's that's one of the solutions I've actually proposed. Um, if we want to see more people get visas so they can come and work and and, and fill some of the labor shortages that we have in this country, I support that. Uh, but I but we need to do this in an orderly process. And that means securing the border first and giving our Customs and Border Protection the tools that they are requesting, the technology, the manpower, the tools to do their job. Uh, That in itself could be a small package. It may not resolve all our issues, Mm -hmm. but that is a great start. And so I would love to see something like that happen. That would be common sense. Uh, It would actually get to this issue where we're not seeing all these buses, all these individuals coming to New York City. The mayor say it's bankrupting our city. It's destroying New York City. Uh, and so Senator Schumer, who's from New York City, she can help us resolve this issue.
1: I want to ask you a couple of, of other issues and talk about a couple of other issues, because I know that you were able to secure some funding for the World Trade Center health program. What was that funding or what is that funding going to be able to allow that program to do?
2: Look, well, this is critical funding to make sure the program is fully funded through 2029. And again, this is another bipartisan effort, right? The New York delegation—you uh, know, uh, uh, Congressman uh, Anthony diaz and Andrew Garbarino played a huge role as members of the, of the Homeland Security Committee. Senators Schumer and Gillibrand. Look, bipartisan, bicameral. We all believe that we need to take care of our first responders. Uh, they were there for us. Um, they are now continuing to die from not. 9/11 related illnesses, and we need to make sure that the healthcare program is there to provide them with the care that they need. And so, we were joined this week with FDNY, NYPD, Port Authority um, members and their unions uh, to to acknowledge the work of Congress to make sure that they did you know and they did the right thing this year. Uh, we we made sure that the money was there, and I'm very happy about that because, especially in my community of Staten Island, Southern Brooklyn, uh, we are seeing so many people passing away from these 9-11 related illnesses. In fact, we're seeing more of our firefighters uh, who have died from 9-11 related Mm -hmm. illnesses than we saw on September 11th, the day itself. And so critical issue, we're gonna continue to push uh, in coming years to make sure that this program is fully funded.
1: Congresswoman, about 90 seconds left, but I'm curious because you've been on the longest recess of, of this term for Congress, so you've been back in the district. What are people telling you? What are your constituents telling you that they want you to focus on? What are you hearing from the people?
2: They, they want border security. That is a big issue that I'm hearing all across the city from Republicans, Independents, and Democrats. They want public safety. They want Albany to continue to fix that bail law, which has led to so many drug traffickers uh, and other criminals being released back onto the streets. Uh, they want to make sure that we're tackling inflation. And so the House passed legislation that would address the energy needs of this country to reduce energy costs, to reduce gas, gas costs, to reduce food costs. Because remember, you've got transport, food and gas prices impact that, and it's increasing our food prices. So these kitchen uh, table issues, the pocketbook issues are what I'm hearing about most. I'm proud that the House has taken um, steps to pass these, Like we've passed legislation to address a lot of these issues. Uh, we need the Senate to pass our bills, uh, but let's see what we can do in the buy- uh, camera, bipartisan way to continue to chip away at these issues, but we need to have cooperation. And again, I see the extremes, uh, you know, when we have a, a bill where we actually negotiate and get to a resolution, the far right, the far left, don't vote for it. But everyone else in the middle, probably 300 members do support it. And I think you are going to see more of that with the slim uh, majority that we have in the House and the, the even slimmer majority that's in the Senate.
1: And we have about 30 seconds left. But to that point, as we're now in an election year, are you hopeful that we can come together and find some common ground? I feel like we don't live on the margins as, a, as the communities, whether it's Brooklyn, or Staten Island, or Queens, or the Bronx, or Manhattan. Do you, are you hopeful that we can find that common ground in the middle?
2: Hopeful, but the reality is you you we have different interests, right? We have people who want open borders in this country. We have people who think it's perfectly perfectly fine for an individual in New York City to commit 30 crimes, be arrested 30 times, and then be released back onto the streets. I mean, this is the reality of the policies we've seen out of the far left. I hope that common sense Democrats mm-hmm. and Republicans can come together to push back on that. But it's hard when you have one-party rule, especially in a city or state like ours.
1: We'll be watching it all closely. Thank you for your time. We appreciate you being here on Up Close. Congresswoman Nicole Malliotakis, thank you. All right, joining us now is Democratic Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill out of New Jersey. Thanks so much for being here on Up Close. Thanks for having me Congresswoman I want to jump right into Russia and Ukraine because this week we learned that Russia is being supplied these ballistic missiles to use against Ukraine in this sort of landscape where we're talking about possible more funding for Ukraine something that the administration is calling for. Where do we stand with Ukraine and how do you answer those people who say is it even a winnable war for Ukraine.
3: I would argue that we're already winning, or the Ukrainians are already winning with our support. We know that they have the port of Odessa. They've been able um, to get the grain shipments out, which is so important to their economy and so important to feeding Africa, quite frankly. We know that they have kept that Eastern manufacturing district that supplied the Soviet Union with the majority of their munitions so they could develop their munitions base themselves to continue to supply going forward and keep Ukraine free and safe. So I think they've done a tremendous job. Um, But I was asked over the holidays by a friend of mine who's a Republican, well, why don't we just sue for peace? And I said to him, why would Putin agree to that right now? Why not wait and see what the United States does? Because this is such a critical moment. We need to keep up the support for Ukraine because without that, so many of these gains and that really amazing success that we've seen from the Ukrainian people um, could very well be imperiled.
1: We talked about peace and Secretary Blinken spent the week in the Middle East, another visit there where it is such a hotbed. What is the latest on the hostages still being held in Gaza?
3: Well, we just haven't seen the movement that we want to see. The time when we saw the most hostages released and the greatest deal of success was during that humanitarian pause. And so we just haven't seen the ability to negotiate that by the Netanyahu administration. I'm hoping with Blinken over in the region advocating for a better path forward, advocating for a better strategy from the Israelis, that we will see more movement on the release of the hostages, because, of course, we still have Americans being held hostage at this time.
1: Let's move to the migrant crisis, something that is impacting so many states across this country, including The state of New Jersey most recently is migrants now being bused there. Secretary Mayorkas earlier this week revealed that since President Biden took office, more than a million migrants per year have been released into the country as they're going through this immigration process. Now, you're on the House Armed Forces Committee. I'm curious, from your perspective, from that security perch, isn't this a security concern?
3: There are so many concerns that I have with our broken immigration system. And what makes me so incredibly frustrated is that I think reasonable people from both sides of the aisle understand what the pathway forward is. And it's been that pathway that we've seen since the Senate passed comprehensive immigration reform years ago with overwhelming support, but hardliners refused to take up the vote in the House. And that is to make sure that we have a secure border, that we have pathways to citizenship for people who are here, that we have citizenship for DACA recipients, that we can make sure we have the correct number of immigration, you know, the correct numbers coming in to fuel our economy. So whether we're talking about high skilled labor or whether we're talking about seasonal farm workers, we need to make sure that we fix that broken system. And then we also need to understand what's coming across our border. How do we control, for example, fentanyl coming across our border? And so much of that, you know, we're just not moving forward on. And we've seen again and again and again that it's got to be bipartisan. And so as we see the Senate getting closer and closer and closer to a bipartisan solution, I remain incredibly concerned that hardliners in the House will once again Fail to take action because we are already hearing these demands um, for hr2 which while it has certain things um, within it that we'd like to move forward on related to border security there are also certain unacceptable things that would actually make um, our immigration policy worse not better and so that's why you did not see one democrat in the house of representatives vote for it so it certainly won't pass the senate and won't get signed by the president so that to me is just a sign that there are people that prefer this as a partisan talking point and are more concerned about their personal elections than actually getting stuff accomplished and making this country stronger and safer for everyone.
1: When you mention it's a partisan debate right now, you do have mayors, uh, even in traditionally blue cities, like Mayor Adams here in New York City, saying this is a crisis, really criticizing the Biden administration. So I'm just curious as sort of somebody, a layman here looking at all of this, why doesn't President Biden used more of an executive action, because this has reached emergency situation status. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. When you have record numbers entering the country and these record encounters, what, 300,000, I think, in the month of December. Why doesn't President Biden do something that he could do right now without con- Congress?
3: Well, I understand why these mayors and why governors are so upset because this is a federal problem. When you see people from Texas being bussed up to New York and stopping in New Jersey, this is not something that our governors or our mayors can handle without federal support. And that's why the failure of the administration Congress to act in a bipartisan manner is so frustrating. And that's why I think this push in the Senate to come up with that bipartisan solution is so important. And again, we've got to take that up in the House. We've got to continue to move forward. Because, you know, as you're stating, this is not something that our mayors and our governors can handle individually. This has got to be a comprehensive solution um, that is managed by the federal government.
1: Well, Congresswoman, no question this situation with the migrants has reached an urgent level that we have not seen in quite some time. And I'm just curious, you know, thinking about how all of this unfolded and it reached this point where we're having these important conversations on on such an urgent level. Do you think if Governor Abbott in Texas had not started busing the migrants to particularly these sanctuary cities, that we would have this what appears to be this emergency across the country in the cities that we're seeing?
3: Well, you know, I think what we've been seeing is there's been an emergency um, at the border with, um, you know, I, I think you said a, about a million a year coming across our border. So the fact that 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 you know we're seeing this now more in some of our northeastern cities, it was going to impact us. But it's a crisis on so many levels. the The problem here, I think, is is really threefold. You have a problem with the fact that the, the you know, security of the border, the ability to process people at the border, um, the resources at the border just aren't there. Um, and then you also have a problem with understanding how people are being treated at our border. Anyone who comes to our border, even if they're being processed very quickly and sent back home, should be treated with dignity and respect. And that is not the case for so many people. It's a very dangerous situation for so many people arriving at our border. And then we also have the understanding of what it's going to take for us to run the economy that we Mm -hmm. need to run. How many people do we need in some of the high-skilled jobs that we have? Um, that has made us a leader in innovation across the world. What are we going to do about seasonal rural farm workers and how do we make sure that that availability is there so that we can run our our rural areas, our farm workers? Uh, These are all questions that are just constantly shunted to the side in this drive to have a political partisan talking point instead of really coming to solutions for how we address the immigration crisis that's going on in this country.
1: We have about 90 seconds left in this conversation, and and I would love to pick your brain because this is the longest recess Congress has had in this term. And so I'm curious what your constituents, what are the people telling you they want you to focus on? What are they saying?
3: Well, as you know, I'm in northern New Jersey. So um, the people want me to focus on the SALT, the state and local tax deduction. Um, That is always a bone of contention here. Uh, people are very concerned about the congestion pricing and how it is going to impact our ability to fund New Jersey transit. Because, as you know, none of that money is coming back to New Jersey in a very unfair way. Mm-hmm. I think if you really want to adjust, address congestion in New York. Um, and people are talking to me about their kids. You know, how is our education system going? Um, how is the mental health of our children doing in the aftermath of COVID? And now, as we look back over the past year, mm-hmm. are we where we need to be? Or are we still trying to get our kids back to where they should be in the aftermath of that
1: sounds like a lot of issues that would be of interest statewide so congresswoman do you have any interest are you planning to run for governor
3: Right now, I'm running for the House of Representatives. As you know, um, things have not been going that well down in the House of Representatives. There's been a real inability to govern. So we're very focused on flipping the house to make sure that we can continue to implement some of the changes we made in the last Congress that have been working so well for New Jersey. Uh So as you can imagine, we have seen some of the lowest unemployment numbers. We've seen gas prices uh, falling very very quickly. We've also seen wages rising. um, And we've seen um, jobs in manufacturing at a level we haven't seen in years here. So the changes that we made to the economy in the last session of Congress are working very well for New Jersey. And then on top of that, with the infrastructure bill, we've seen the Gateway Tunnel Project taking off, which as you know, is something I've been fighting for for years. So to see shovels in the ground and to actually see this program moving forward has been incredibly gratifying and really important to people here.
1: Well, Congresswoman, all we ask is if and when you're ready to make that other announcement, please do it here on Up Close. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate (laughs) it, be well. Coming up, a man's struggle after surviving one of the deadliest fires in recent New York City history. He was rescued from the apartment fire in the Bronx that killed 17 other people. We'll take a look at what his life has been like the past couple of years. Tuesday marks two years since one of New York's deadliest fires, that fire that broke out at the Twin Parks apartment building in the Bronx. It killed 17 people. Back then, this man was told he would never walk or talk again because of the fire. Life as he knew it all but over. But giving up just wasn't an option. Eyewitness News reporter Jim Dolan has his story of determination.
0: Muhammad Al Hamoud can stand now. And though it is exhausting, he can take a few tentative steps. Two years ago, he was a strapping, healthy 25-year-old man with a life in front of him. And then in just minutes, everything changed.
3: She said, like, the house is in fire and my brother is inside with four of her children.
0: The Twin Parks fire in the Bronx left 17 people dead and dozens injured, not from the flames, but the suffocating black smoke that filled the hallways and climbed the building stairwell to the floors above. Five-year-old Hawa Touré and 10-year-old Seidou Touré both in the apartment Muhammad shared with their mother, who had left to go to the grocery store, died in that smoke. Muhammad was carried out by firefighters barely alive.
3: He was he he, he looked dead. He was like he was dead. I'll give you the
0: hand. <laughs> but he wasn't dead. Doctors say he has a traumatic brain injury caused by a lack of oxygen. His life since then has been filled with rehab but very little hope he's essentially trapped inside of his own body at such a young age where he's fully able to comprehend the conversation uh, he's able to participate in conversation but he's not able to really verbally communicate uh, not able to walk uh, he'll obviously never work again a team of lawyers representing many of the injured in the building is suing more than 20 companies they believe responsible for the fire and the smoke that spread beyond the apartment where it started in large part because they say doors in the building didn't close automatically to prevent the spread of smoke.
2: First thing I want to do is go outside. The last thing on my mind is to close a door. It should Um, be automatic. You know, it should be automatic.
0: But the lawsuits cannot salve the grief, the anguish of a family that has lost so much. Their brother is forever changed.
2: He
3: wasn't getting better like, like he wants, like we hope. But he was alive.
0: Jim Dolan, Channel 7
1: Eyewitness News. Mm. We'll be right back. And that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. TMPO with our friend Joe Torres is coming up next. By the way, Up Close is now a podcast. That's right. You can listen to this and all future episodes on the go. We'll be sharing updates on big stories throughout the week, plus other podcast extras. So you'll want to be subscribed right now. Search for Up Close with Bill Ritter wherever you get your podcast or simply just scan the QR code right there on your screen. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. I'm Mike Barza, in for Bill Ritter. For all of us here at Channel 7 Eyewitness News, enjoy the rest of your weekend.